Welcome to Pull Up a Chair, the podcast birthed from Dinner Theater Church. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Debbie Moylan, and I have the honor and privilege of curating an eclectic gathering of theater artists here in North Central Massachusetts. We gather to share our stories, to wrestle with our questions, all the while gathered around shared meals. What's amazing is that it is not our faith that is the unifying element. It's theater. If you are a theater artist, you will recognize the importance of narrative. And so we offer you these very personal stories of theater artists, their faith journeys, and how they were able to find community at this crazy experiment called Dinner Theater Church. We hope that their stories will inspire you on your own journey. Welcome and pull up a chair. All right, well, welcome back to our podcast. And tonight, my special guest is my dear friend, Bethany Johnson. I met Bethany back in 2014, I think, when I was asked to music direct Legally Bond at the local technical high school where she was directing the play. And since then, we've had wonderful opportunities to create a whole lot of theater together. We've had multiple escapades. We travel well together. She's also one of the most creative people I know, not only through theater and creating characters in, the, in so many ways. She's great at accents and linguistics and also incredibly talented when it comes to visual arts. And so I'm honored and just so blessed to call her friend. And so I, I hope you'll love her as much as I do. Everybody, this is Bethany Johnson. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> I hope that I can meet the listeners' needs with that, that intro there. Are you here to meet needs? I don't think I am. I'm here to meet your <laughs> needs, whatever those might be. Well, I know you, and I've known you for years now, almost mm -hmm. 10 years. So um, these people might not. So tell them a little bit about yourself. Who is... Bethany Johnson. Oh, that's a really loaded question. Mm. So I am um, an artist, an educator, and a yogi. Mm -hmm. That's sort of how I think about myself in the professional world. I am a teacher at Monty Tech, Massachusetts Regional Vocational Technical School, that's a mouthful, in Fishburg, Massachusetts. I have taught there for 18 years. I teach physical education and art, and I've married the two together to create a program um, called Yoga and Meditative Art, which essentially um, I teach my students uh, yoga and art, but in sort of a therapeutic capacity. So um, it's sort of discovering themselves through overarching questions about life and about teenagers and just just sort of kind of mm. all, a lot of the muck that human beings face. But I think as a teenager, you have much more struggles in how you're going to decipher it, how you compartmentalize it. And so I use that class and my program to sort of help them navigate some of the stickier stuff. And I hope that on the other side, they just come out better human beings. So that's what I do in my professional life. In addition to that, I work with you at City on Hill Arts, um, creating theater, theatrical things that are important to us. And um, and on the side of all of that, I'm a mom and a wife and I have dogs and I like to travel. I love to read. I'm addicted to candles and slippers. Um, yeah. Any particular candle? 
I really well if I go through Marshall, we're looking for um, if you sponsors. go to Marshall's, <laughs> Marshalls, um, I'm like a huge sniffer. Like I'll just mm. sniff, sniff, sniff. But I tend to gravitate towards the fall scents, like the cinnamons mm. and the the spicier undertones. I, I something about a clean house, mm-hmm. a quiet house, amen, and a spicy candle burning, and I feel like. All is right with the world. So do you think there's something about (laughs) spicy that defines your life? It could be. I mean, Mm. I find spice in that realm, if we're in the candle realm, if you will, uh, (laughs) to be very comforting for me. Mm -hmm. But as like a person, like I like spicy foods, you know, like muy picante as the... He's better. He's better if he's picante. So I like spicy (laughs) foods and I find I'm, uh, yeah, I have an effervescence. There it is. About me. I'm spicy. Yeah. I, I like, like effervescent as well. I like being alive. Mm-hmm. I like all the things. And everything to me is an adventure. Like the ride over here in the car is like a full The roof is concert. down. The music is the on. The music is on. It's, a joie de vivre. It's a joie de vivre. Mm-hmm. And then I'm at home and things make me laugh. I think I sent you like two or three different little <laughs> video clips because I could not stop laughing. And I, you know, everything makes me laugh. Life's so much better when it's funnier. You know? I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, thank you for sharing all of that You're about so yourself. Welcome. You, believe um, me, listeners, you, <laughs> you're welcome. She's not a simple woman. Not a simple woman. No. So um, that is a little snapshot of who you are yes. on the day-to-day basis. Yes. But here we are to talk about Dinner Theater Church and mm-hmm. what it means to be part of a faith community that is or has theater as its um, coalescing point, right? Mm-hmm. Which brings people together. Yes. Um, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, faith background? What is your journey or how has it looked throughout um, your most formative years, maybe even recently? Okay. So I was born... That's the sound of birth. (laughs) Out I came. And I was born into an Italian Catholic Mm. family. And I was baptized Catholic and sort of went through the Catholic motions, attended Catholic school when I came of age. And I would like the listeners to know that I went to school at the age of four because I was advanced. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) I'm just letting you know. Um, And so I went to Catholic school and I went to Catholic school until the third grade. And then we moved out of um, the town that we were living in or the city of Fitchburg, rather. And we lived in Ashburn. We moved to Ashburnham Mm -hmm. and there was no Catholic school. So it was my first sort of attempt at public school. And what did that mean? And all the while, my mother kept us in the catechism classes and mm-hmm. the, the CCD and attending that and making our sacraments, even though she herself was not really a practitioner of the faith, I mm-hmm. would say. Mm-hmm. More so my grandparents, um, you know, were typical Sunday churchgoers, you know, had a routine. And, um, and I think it was sort of, that's what you do. You know, this is how you raise your kids and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You, this is what we did and that's what you do. And I think that was um, her way of giving us some sort of a moral foundation, whether she really believed it or not. It I was her know. responsibility, was her, probably. She, I think she felt that it was her responsibility. Yeah, and, and I, here we are in Massachusetts, which is a heavily mm-hmm. uh, Catholic 
defined state. Yes. Or at least it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, myself, you know, I wouldn't particularly say that I identified as Catholic, but I somewhat enjoyed the routine and ritual of Catholic Church. And I found myself probably not despising going as much as, you know, that obligatory Sunday situation. And I would really kind of want to go with my grandparents Mm -hmm. often to church, whereas my my younger sister would not go or my mom wouldn't go. And I can recall being a young girl and being in church and it was time for communion. And, you know, you go up for communion. And I, at that point in time, had already made my my first communion. And um, my mother didn't get up to go. And I was like, well, why aren't you going, mom? You know, like, what's going on? And she said she was really kind of discreet about her response. But then I later learned that divorced women did not go for communion. Like, no way. That's a thing. Like, you know, my little brain just couldn't process. Right. This is a place that we go that's supposed to make us feel good about ourselves. But because you divorced from my father, who is an abusive alcoholic and horrible things happened to you, but because you divorced that, you're not allowed to go up to get communion. And I think that was the first time I ever remember questioning why do we do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was young. I mean, I don't even know how old you are when you make your first communion. But um, fast forward. Yep. Uh, fast forward through high school. You know, and I I stopped I, after my, so it's baptism, um, first communion, confession, and then you make your confirmation. Okay. And so I completed. So confession is actually after your first communion? Yes, it is. Okay. So I did confession. And I recall that because I remember I was no longer in parochial school when I did that. And um, so I did confession. And of course, you know, it's all like random lies that you're trying to say to appease the priest because is that it? You know, I can remember <laughs> sitting on the other side and forgive me, Father, I have sinned. And this is my first confession. You know, and they tell you all the things to say. And um, I, I, after that, I kind of was like, no. And I don't know if it was just my te- my age that I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is dumb. Like, I don't have a relationship with this. My mom doesn't even go to church. And at that point in time, my grandparents had pretty much started to disassociate from the Catholic Church because of all the things that were coming about with the Catholic priests yes. and the abuse. And, you know, they wanted no, no part of it. So there I was, a teenager with no sort of faith foundation, but I went to college in the Bible Belt in Mm -hmm. Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was my first real exposure to Baptists, um, Church of Christ, uh, please no um, derogatory remark being made here, but Black Church, Mm -hmm. um, where I had never even imagine church could be something like that. And so as probably a freshman in college, I realized, you know what? Are you a particular faith because your parents tell you you're that faith mm-hmm. or you're that religion or that denomination, whatever it is? Yeah. Um, or are you that particular re- religion because you've studied all of these religions and you understand what they believe and you identify with a particular religion, and then you can say, as an educated person, Mm -hmm. I am Catholic, or I am Baptist, or I am 
Jewish or Buddhist. Right, you've settled or, or on Muslim what defines or, right. you for what, yourself what and not your parents. But, but you're coming to faith as an educated person. Mm-hmm. And I think that was my first time of realizing I had no clue what else was out there. Mm-hmm. No clue what, what else was out there. And I said, you know what? I, I had friends that were, you know, they attended Bible studies. And, um, you know, I had a one friend and she was like one of my dearest friends in, in college. And she said, Bethany, who is it more important for me to spend time with tonight? You or God. And I was like blown over by that statement. I was like, well, Jiminy Crockett's like, <laughs> like, I didn't know what to think of a statement like that. No one mm-hmm. had ever said anything like that to me. And, and I also had many interactions with people where I was like the Yankee because mm-hmm. I was in the Bible, you know, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma and I was the Yankee and you are going to hell, you Catholic Yankee. And I had people, I had one girl that I thought was inviting me out to lunch like as a friend and she pretty much told me how I was going to hell and I needed to be saved and I was completely blindsided and blown away. And I was like, if these are the kind of people that this is what it's all about, like I want nothing to do with this. I want Mm -hmm. zero to do with all of this shenanigans. But my best friends were both really... Baptist and it was part of their routine and they'd go to church every Sunday. So I started going to church with them just because I wanted to be with them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I believed. I didn't know how I felt about anything. I didn't, I just knew that this was what I did to be near them. And I think sort of like you kind of become the company you keep Mm -hmm. or you feel like more comfortable or, and the more that they would read the Bible or they would talk about things or go to their Bible studies. And I did not attend any of those. I would like everyone to know I did not attend. Um, but the more comfortable I became with those kind of conversations or things that previously I think made me uncomfortable. Maybe that was Catholicism. I don't know. Or maybe it was whatever, you know, sequence of events that happened to me in my childhood that implanted these different things in my brain. But I I found myself coming home from college. And when I'd come home from college, I'd return to Catholic church. And I would go to mass on Sundays. And, you know, kind of shocked, would shock my sister. My mother, not so much, but like, oh, you know, like, why would you want to go to church, you know? And it was just something that I, I just felt comfortable. And I felt like it recharged me. Mm-hmm. It just reset my thoughts. And um, so I was routinely attending Catholic church and then I decided when I went back to school, um, I think it was probably my sophomore or junior year of this sort of like the first two years of kind of going back and forth and going to all these different churches, which was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot and you learn a lot and you figure out where yep. you're comfortable. And that's really what I felt like I needed to educate myself. Like if I'm going to say I believe in God and I believe in Jesus or I believe in X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. what does that mean? What does that even mean? Because I struggle with so, probably like a lot of people do. Maybe people are listening and you feel like me, like you struggle with many aspects of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And um, and I still struggle. Yep. But I felt like I had to be an educated person before I could say that I was, I aligned with a particular faith. Mm-hmm. So um, returned, fast forward my junior year of college and I decided that I was going to attend Catholic church and I felt more comfortable there. It was just a routine. And the, the, the church on campus was a really young church. They had live music. Um, it wasn't like the doom and gloom Catholic church of my youth, if you will, (laughs) 
or small town Westminster Ashburnham, you know, that I was, yes. that's what I was used to. And it was a much more alive place. And I felt connected to the people there and I made friends. And I said, you know what? I think I'll make my confirmation, which was the final step. So I actually ended up making my confirmation the night before I graduated from college. Mm-hmm. And that felt like an important moment for me to have completed that step. Even though I didn't feel that I really truly aligned with Catholicism, I felt like I had completed some sort of final step. Like a part of the journey. Yeah, in my journey. Mm -hmm. And I felt like in some ways too, like maybe it would make my grandparents happier. I I think my mother was really sort of immune to anything that I did at that point in in a a religious fear. I think she was just kind of like, go live your life like, whatever, live your best life. Um, But I felt that that was important for me to complete that step. So I did. And then I moved home and um, fast forward a little bit more. I got married, um, had children, Mm -hmm. and did not baptize those children until they were five years old. Um, we baptized them in the Catholic Church. So my first husband was from Portugal, um, Catholic family, Catholic school, Catholic country. And even though he was not a practicing Catholic, mm-hmm. practitioner of Catholicism, I don't know if that came out right, edit that, um, <laughs> that uh, we both had a discussion and we felt like this was important to do. Mm-hmm. But I also felt like I didn't want to force religion on my children even though there is sort of a godly instruction to do that, I really felt like it was important for them because of my mindset. Like, was I Catholic because my family told me I was I was Catholic or was I Catholic because I had gone out and I had some experiences and I returned to Catholicism feeling like that's where it was most comfortable for me to be. Um, and I wanted my kids to have that. So same thing. My kids go to Catholic school and my kids have experiences. They're attending their theology classes. And we had discussions at home. But I always made it light. And I would always ask them, what did they think about it? Mm-hmm. And I can recall Dante being little and being in the backseat of the car. And I'm driving. And we're listening. it's Christmas time, you know, and a song comes on. And you hear, Jesus Christ is born, you know. And Dante's <laughs> cracking up in the backseat. And I'm like, what's so funny? And he's like... They said Jesus Christ. Ah! Because he thought it was a swear because that's his father's favorite choice of curse word. Um, And then I can remember bringing him to church maybe at like six or seven and him like, again, snickering in the pew. And I'm like, what? It was it was like the Catholic Christmas mass and Santa was coming and. You know, they were doing the nativity and Santa walks down at the end and I'm like, well, just marry it all together. Right? <laughs> Syncretism. Just bring it all together. <laughs> marry Jesus, Joseph, and Santa. You know, bring it all in. So he start, he's snickering and he's, I'm like, dude, what is it? And he's like, church is a weird place, mama. And I was like, it really is. And he keeps saying, Jesus Christ. He said it to me again. And I said, I know, because that's who he's talking about. And he's like, well, does he know him? <laughs> I'm like, I I think so. He's like, well, does he want to throw him? And I'm like, no, I don't think he wants to throw Jesus. And he's like, church is weird, mama. Can we go? I'm like, sure thing, honey. Let's beep feet. So off we went. We snuck out before Santa made his grand entrance. And that was sort of the end of that. I would say then... I have been on a roller coaster ride again in my adult life, 
trying to nail down what it is that I believe. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as an educated person, you know, I can compartmentalize these diff- various components of different religions and say that, you know, these things, I align with these beliefs and I align with these things. So when people say, well, are you a Christian? I said, well, if believing in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ came here and he did X, Y, and Z, then yes, because mm-hmm. Jesus is the man, right? <laughs> he is. I fully support that and, statement. And if, and if, <laughs> and if being love and living in that way and through his teaching means that I'm a Christian, then I would say, yes, I'm 100% a Christian um, in following his teachings. But then there are also other things that I practice. So as a yogi, I've studied so much Buddhist philosophy, Hindu philosophy, because it's interwoven in this Mm -hmm. discipline. And as a teacher, you know, I want to understand sort of the roots of it. And I would say for me, the most important practice that comes out of the philosophy of yoga. And and I always like to tell people that yoga is in religion, but religion isn't in yoga. But there is certainly a yoga philosophy. And that is also married somewhat to Buddhist teachings. Mm-hmm. And that is the practice of ahimsa, which is non-harming. And non-harming in your thoughts, in your words, and in your actions. And I think that that very much aligns with Jesus's teachings for sure. Like you, you see that in there. Um, and I think that there's probably many practices in other religions that all align with Jesus's teachings. Um, but I struggle with a lot of things in the Bible. I still struggle. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I will not ever struggle. Um, but I can say that I like who I am. I try to live through love. I try to offer love. I'm not always good at are perfect at it. Um, but I feel like a, a solid person. And I think a lot of that is my belief that I'm a spirit in a body mm-hmm. and that God okay. gave me the spirit yep. and I am a part of it. And at some point, like my physical matter, like this is just a meat suit, you know, <laughs> that I walk around in all day. Yeah. And at some point, the physical matter that made my body will go and become something else. But my spirit, I believe, will will move we'll live on. on. We'll live Somehow. on. Somehow. Somehow. Somehow that we that, don't quite understand. Yes, that we don't quite understand. And mm-hmm. I feel that I do have a purpose here. And, um, and that I fulfill that purpose by being a good human being and following certain teachings and certain practices. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's where I am. So I don't really have like a definitive, like clear cookie cut, like this is the outline and I fit in all of that shape. Do you think that most people do though? I would hazard a guess that probably there are many people that are fit also, within that fit with a shape. Yeah. Or no, no, not that fit within a shape, but that Maybe their their boundaries are more defined. Like I look mm. at someone like my husband, who is extremely devout, Baptist, Christian, and um, you know, there are no blurry lines for him. Yeah, he is a person of the word. Yes. As it were. And <laughs> um I'm trying to quote from the Laramie project here, but I'm going to fail now. But <laughs> Uh, yeah. you know, either the word, the word is, is sufficient, sufficient 
or it is not. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he definitely has boundaries, whereas mine are very much blurry. So with blurry lines. Yes, with blurry lines. Um, what do you think is a blurry lined person? And in a lot of ways, I think you surround uh, as artists and creatives. Mm-hmm. I think artists and creatives in general are blurry line people. Okay. Um, in multifaceted ways, not just spiritually, mm-hmm. um, because that's what makes them interesting and creative. That they can see things. Effervescence. I'm just bubbling out. Yeah. Or just being able to almost um, see life with a squinted eye so that you see the colors and you see the shapes, but you don't necessarily see definition. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a, okay, blurry line person, and you hear about this particular gathering of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> under the dinner theater church gathering? Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. mm-hmm. So that particular gathering, there's an invitation made. Okay. Um, and you decide to attend. Mm-hmm. What do you think it, about the concept of it that was attractive to you? I really enjoyed the idea of a collective group of people that are like-minded, but yet not at the same time. Because I knew many of the people that had been invited to be in this group. And so I knew them either through theatrical goings-on or just from, you know, how theater people kind of tend to know of one another. Um and I like the idea of the church question mark. As part of the logo. As part of the logo. Yes. Okay. We call it Dinner Theater Church, but there is a question mark in the logo, it folks, is. for those of you that are not aware. And I I think that that question mark made me feel like it was perfectly safe for everyone. Mm-hmm. We, and it is a church. And we are a church because... We collectively come together to love one another and honor each other through our spirit, through the human spirit. And I think in that realm, it is we are a church. You know, mm-hmm. we commit to coming. Um, but I was excited to see what it was. I mean, I I didn't know specifically what your vision particularly was, but I was excited to see what it might be. Like the 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 future potential of it, you you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Like what kind of, um, you know, dis, d- the discussions and I think and the healing and the exploration and the variety of topics that we've explored through the nuggets, if you will, mm-hmm. over the past year. I mean, they've been really incredible. And I think these kinds of discussions that we have, they're things that it's not like. It just, it's its a one and done kind of thing. Like we have this conversation. It's things I think about over the course of the month until we meet again. Yes. I continue to ruminate over things that people have said and people, things people think about and, and how important all of it is and how can I honor what that person's words, you know, if someone shares something that's more intimate or private and how can I embody those feelings or hold space for them or you know, all of those kinds of things, even when I'm not in their presence. Mm -hmm. It's that important to me. So you have, um, I believe you've called 
the time that we gather sacred to you. Yes, it's sacred to me. It's and important. you schedule around it for sure so that you can be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the anticipation would be that each time that we gather, that would be something that would happen that would make the time together valuable. hundred percent. So if um, if that were the case, um, if you were to look over the past year, because we've been gathering um, for the most part on a consistent basis for a year, uh, what is it? Or what would it have been? Or is there an experience <laughs> that is um, has been meaningful to you, has been transformative to you? Has there been um, a point in time where the gathering has held more value than maybe uh, other months? Okay. Um. First of all, they're all important in different ways. Mm-hmm. They're all important in different ways. I would say the particular ones that stuck out for me, the one when we were discussing the death of Christ mm. and how that was so hard for so many people, but in so many ways, his death needed to happen so that life could happen. Mm-hmm. And you asked us the question, what needs to die in your life so that something else can be born? And that question was so profound for me at that particular moment mm-hmm. and where I was um, and the challenges I had faced in the past couple of years. I've had several, many challenges in the past yeah. couple of years. Yeah. Um, and it was just such a profound thing that for someone to ask me that and something that I had not even thought of, you know, and these are those kind. Those, I think it's those kinds of questions that arise from our conversations. Those are the things that sit with me mm-hmm. and that I dissect in other ways when I'm alone or things that our friends share that then I continue to dissect when, and maybe it doesn't need dissection, but I just think about them in, from different or angles. Yeah, rumination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that particular question really um, struck me. I would say um, certainly once you started giving other people the nuggets, the responsibility <laughs> of the nugget, Um, That was really wonderful. And um, to speak briefly about a particular experience that I had when we were at um, one of our members' houses, but it wasn't you that was delivering the nugget. It was David and um, referencing Ted Lasso and the concept of forgiveness. And for whatever reason, that particular night was my night to share and I was able to share a really difficult um, experience I was enduring in my life Mm -hmm. in a way that I had not been able to process it in probably seven to eight months at that point in time. And I was able to heal as a result of our time together um, in a way that I would not have been able to do on my own. And I will be so grateful for that because it gave me perspective and I was able to come to the realization that when things happen to you, mm-hmm. we always say, oh, this happened to me. But I was able to 
transform my thinking. And I said, no, this happened for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to now look at when things happen, they're not happening to me. They're happening for me. And I always ask myself, what does God want me to know from this, this challenge? What am I supposed to learn from this? But that particular challenge, I couldn't, I couldn't see what I was supposed to learn. I was so stuck in the heart and being the object that had been wounded and not reclaiming my own power as a human being. Mm. And I was able to do that from that particular conversation um, and in the safety of our group and our friends and the fire. It's something about fireside chats, man. You just, it just. Well, you mentioned safety. So um, I was going to ask, what do you think the dynamic of that gathering, not necessarily the topic, but the dynamic of how we gather Mm -hmm. and the essential rules of life that Mm -hmm. we kind of have established those safe boundaries. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that dynamic allowed you to be as transparent as you were in that moment? That's an interesting question because I, first of all, I'll say when I'm outside, I feel closest to God. Mm, okay. Always, always, always. Um, and I think it's something about being outside. I felt internally like God had given me permission to share mm-hmm. and like that I I would it was time to share okay does that sound yes it does like there was a nudge like it's time it's time to share you need to you need to talk about this and I think having then we had been come doing these now for I don't even know when was that in the springtime mm-hmm. that we had done that one um, so it had been several months of us doing this. So I felt much more comfortable with the people. Yeah. And I think the consistency of coming together all the time and sharing in the way that we do. And oftentimes someone does share something that's a little bit more intimate, mm-hmm. more um, mm-hmm. vulnerable. And I felt like I just couldn't hold it anymore. Mm. But I felt like it was okay because everyone else was holding space for me to share and being in that circle, it's also, this is also too why when I teach yoga many times, I like to teach in a circle because no one is more important than the other. Yeah. And, um, and I really felt, I, uh, you know, looking for a way to describe the feeling of safety, but I just felt like there was no other place in the world I was supposed to be at that particular moment. Like I was exactly where I was supposed to be. Okay. And then I went, blah, blah. <laughs> In the best possible in way. In the best possible way. Yeah. So having gone through this experience for the past year. Yes. And we celebrate and we've all decided that we're going to continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a unique little expression in North Central Massachusetts. And... Um, not knowing exactly who might be listening today, whether it's somebody that's looking for community or whether it is somebody that maybe like me has an affinity for a particular group of people and wants to 
explore what it means to create community for that mm-hmm. group of people and to share faith together. Um, what do you think you would say to either of those people groups, whether or not it's somebody that is looking, you know, to uh, encourage them or even encourage somebody that might be looking to lead something like this? Well, do it, obviously. <laughs> do it. Swish. I, I just do it. I, I feel, number one, even people that are alone, they need community. I recently had an experience with a family member. Um, we traveled abroad together and I realized how alone she is in mm-hmm. her life mm-hmm. and how desperately she needs community. And I think people have to be open to different ways of being and thinking. Mm-hmm. And if you are really judgy and you are judgy of yourself and you are judgy of others, then it's not going to work for you because you have to be love. You have to be love. Everybody has to be love. But when when they come to that realization, that's on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the sense of community that groups like this offer and knowing that you have a tribe mm that are there to support you and not just in a monthly meeting, but that you could call at a moment's notice like, hey, uh, my husband dropped out of going to the show with me and I've got an extra ticket. I need you to tag along. You know, even something like that. There is not a time since we've started this journey that I haven't felt at any moment that I couldn't pick up the phone and call any one of those people and that they wouldn't have shown up for me. And... I think you have to put yourself out there. So if you're listening and you're considering a group, or maybe you're considering starting going to a yoga class or going to a church or whatever, just do it. Eventually you will find your people, but mm. don't stop looking. Do not stop looking. And if you can't find your people, bring the people to you. So if you want to start a group, decide what you want your group to be about and and go for it. Like life is happening now. Life is now. And so many people are waiting for these things to come to them and it's not going to come to you. You know, what you seek is seeking you, but you have to seek it. You know, that's a Buddhist saying, what you seek is seeking you. So if you feel a longing in your heart, it's, or a yearning, I love that word, Mm. yearn. Like what does it mean to yearn for something? Um, there are people out there that are, are seeking you and want you. Your community your, awaits. Your community awaits. Your tribe is out there, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and like, let your freak flag fly. Like the weirder, the better. I, I, I mean, I feel like our group is made up of such, you know, vagabonds and misfits. And I'm sure if they listen to this, they're gonna be like, which one of us is the vagabond and who's the misfit? It's like, which one are we talking? Who's she talking about? And the answer is yes. Yes. The answer is all of you, all of us. We're all of those things. We yeah. embody all of those things. And I feel like when you are in a community like ours, such as ours, and especially being thespians, I mean, we have the ability to transform at a moment's notice. It's true. You know? And it's so wonderful being in a group like that where you can just be anything and anybody any day and yeah where people that are accustomed to being able to put on a mask yes. or create a character mm-hmm. or become 
or embody a role yes can actually just be themselves yes a hundred percent and even though like i did ask myself what shall my costume for the day be you know when i got (laughs) dressed this morning you know who did i want to be today you know when i'm with you or with the group i always feel like i can just be or say anything and if i need to be like my silly funny version i'll be that person or if i need to be vulnerable i can be that person and it's it's all love it's just all love and i love all the ideas that people put forth and i love and respect all of them so much more for the things that they share Mm-hmm. In ways like these are people that I would probably, yeah, I would know them through theater, but I would not have this deeper understanding. On the soul level. On a soulful level, mm-hmm. yes. And that my soul understands their soul. I'm trying to remember something that David said. My my soul loves your soul because we share this thing. It was something we, like we that. We read that. Or I don't know where we <laughs> heard that. I, I've heard that too. And it was... I don't know if it was um, a film or a, th- a show or a conversation. We'll have to ask him, but that was definitely what it was. It was like my soul understands your soul because we share this this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, final comments. Any last thoughts before we part company tonight? Um, I think that you are brilliant. You're one of the most influential people in my life and not just because like you're my best friend but I have always admired you from the first day the way you were a mother to your children your relationship with Tom I I feel like I'm gonna start to cry because I just have so much love and admiration for the human being that you are and the work that you do and the version of love that you are And I hope that I embody just even a fraction of it because everything with you is better. Is better. Is better. Well, those of you that have joined us, you have to know that it has been my sincere honor and pleasure to sit with my best friend across the table and to hear her heart. And what's easy about that is that I didn't have to ask a lot of questions because Bethany is just a genuine, true, (laughs) uh, joy-filled soul that just shares from the very bottom of her toes everything that she cares about. And so I thank you for joining us tonight, Bethany, and I thank you all for listening. Uh, Go about and, uh, you know what? Create, be loving, and be all that you can be, right? And as Bethany said, just go ahead and be love. All right? (laughs) So take care. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you. (laughs) All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bethany, my spicy and joy-filled friend, life is better with you in it. You have been an advocate of education, not only for yourself, but for so many others. And it is through education that we are all lifted up, Therefore, I believe that you are actively pursuing the advancement of not only yourself, but so many others. Your creativity knows no bounds, and in your belief that your spirit will live on after your meat suit (laughs) passes away, we can all be assured that you will continue to impact those that follow after you. But meanwhile, life is now. So may you be blessed 
as you grab it with all the gusto you can manage and love with every fabric of your beautiful being. Pull Up a Chair is a production of Dinner Theater Church, a unique artistic gathering and faith family in North Central Massachusetts. If you want to learn more about our community, we can be found on Instagram and Facebook. Our original music was composed and recorded by Layton Thomas. Podcast mixed and produced by Layton Thomas. Copyright 2023, Dinner Theater Church. Thank you.